there you have it. The inauguration of the theme for Behind the Lens. Woohoo! And Below the Line. <laughs> it is Monday, January the 5th, 2015. New year, new show. Old me. But <laughs> New uh, attitude, maybe? New, new attitude, attitude. New outlook. <laughs> I'm Debbie Lynn Elias. Some of you know me as Movie Shark DeBlore. Some of you read me in print. Some of you read me online. Some of you wish I would shut up sometimes. But we're here for the next hour every Monday. And we are going to go behind the lens and below the line on films new, old. I am thrilled to have with me today as my co-host, Greg Saris. And I never can say your name Greg right. Zavosti, I just came in Sir from the street. Zavosti. Yeah, I, I know. Um, Greg. I, live, I live right next door. I'm a fill-in for a fill-in. Greg is one of is one of my favorite colleagues in the press corps, um, and we share many roundtables and and fun together. And you and, ask all the good questions. Well, thank you. Yeah. You ask some good ones too. Sure. Yeah. yeah no, I, uh, on occasion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And of course, a real treat for me is an old friend. Who is even a little older today because it's also his birthday. Wiser. And, Let's say wiser. And he chose old, wise, and well-preserved. <laughs> Chad Miller. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. I am so thrilled that you chose to come here on your birthday. Best birthday gift ever. Aww. Yeah. 3 like we said. Yes. Three, 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 for, for the 12th time. For the 12th time. <laughs> okay. Well, to let everybody know what we're going to do here since we are a brand new show. I've been a film critic for over 25 years. I worked production before. I still do production. I executive produce projects. Um, grew up in the business. My dad, um, many of you out there knew him and knew of him, was with uh, WFIL WPVI in Philadelphia for 59 years, up until his passing in 2010. So being on a set, being on a soundstage, playing with microphones and cameras... I guess it's genetic in the blood or something, but hopefully some of that knowledge along with everything I picked up on along the way, um, will bring you some good entertainment. And, uh, as is the Elias entertainment mantra and mantra, educate, enlighten and entertain. You know, I never asked you this, but behind the lens, was that an immediate get as far as the moniker goes? Actually behind the lens. I got to give a shout out to Rachel Aberly over at PMK because Rachel is so instrumental with all of her work as a, as a unit publicist on so many films. She is instrumental in letting me fulfill my passion of talking to the guys behind the lens, mm-hmm. the directors, the cinematographers, the, you know, the camera pull, the focus pullers, focus even pullers, yeah. mm-hmm. composers. So it was actually Rachel who inspired that out of the blue. Cool. It's a good name. I also like it too, because the audience is often behind the lens, yeah. right? You're seeing what everybody else has created. And so here you are, you know, giving your feedback on what you think some of these um, movies are trying to represent. And you are speaking for the audience behind the lens as well. And, you know, hopefully thanks with interviews, um, some pre-recorded, some will have uh, live in studio uh, filmmakers and guests. Some they'll be calling in live. So we will get up close and personal with, Filmmaking. So, I mean, let's kick it off here for, we just wrapped up 2014, an impressive year for films and a lot of smaller films that flew under the radar, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Now, I know, Chad, you're a big moviegoer. 
Mm-hmm. I like your Birdman pun there, though. Flew under the radar. That's nice. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and it was a very subtle way of sneaking that in. Sneaking that in. <laughs> but I know you are at the theater and yeah. the movies quite often. I am. I am. I, I tend to live in, like, one theater seat or another. Um, I liked a majority of the... I think that this was a really good year for cinema. Um, I loved The Imitation Game. I loved The Theory of Everything. I found myself actually crying more time at the movies this year, probably. And I don't know if it's because, like, it's a transition period in my life. Like, I'm, you know, moving out of young boy into old man. And so, like, I'm understanding a bit more than narratives that are being happening but i had like steamy glasses for like a good chunk of the holiday season watching a bit even things like into the woods i just found myself like really um some of those themes really resonating with me there were some really emotionally powerful films this year Mm -hmm. and they weren't necessarily you weren't necessarily tearing up out of sadness but it Mm -hmm. was also a lot of joy that was coming with the emotional resonance Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now you mentioned imitation game one of our lovely visual aids here today is the book on which the film The Imitation Game is based. Indeed. On Alan Turing. Nice. Yeah. Would you kindly hand me that, sir? I would love to. So that this is a book, if you love the film The Imitation Game, if you have any interest in World War II, Code Breakers, um, The Enigma Machine... This book, Alan Turing, The Enigma by Andrew Hodges, is an amazing book. And I'm all for book movie, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, you know, pairings. Mm-hmm. If you see the movie and it comes from a book, go read the mm-hmm, book. Mm-hmm. If you read the book, go see the movie. Mm-hmm. I'm really lazy. I might just actually read the pictures in the middle. Oh. <laughs> so, these are pretty pictures. But the actual book is excellent. The book is so, excellent. Yeah, I'm going to put this It is here. very historically, you know, wonderful. And it's quite interesting. Speaking of... I really cried, kind of cried during during Into the Woods. Yeah, I really found a lot of the themes really yeah. resonant. So, it, did you shed a tear as well, just a little bit? Or? With Into the Woods, a little bit. Oh, not I. So you're more heartless than we are. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say <laughs> so that you're more the evil witch. Y- yes. yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. Uh, ab- absolutely. You're the dark part of the forest. You are. So. The dark part of the forest. Well, you are. You know, we're saying before, like, we saw this in 1987, right? Like, back on Broadway. We saw the original. Yeah. We have been in touch with this narrative for a number of years. And so to see it in all these different iterations, I think, like, that's one cathartic journey that you can have just as an audience Mm -hmm. member seeing that. But also just as you get older in your life, how those themes really resonate or, you know, take on new meaning as you move through various phases of your life. And that's one of the things that I got to talk to Rob Marshall about. Mm. Yes is making that translation yeah. of Sondheim because as for those that haven't seen the stage production it it very much the characters uh, speak to the audience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they will actually line up turn face you and speak to you you can't do that on film mm-hmm. so rob had to make a lot of adjustments and changes and i think we're just going to kick it off right now with our first clip with my interview with rob marshall you have dazzled me yet again. Oh, wow. 
That's just when I think you can't top what you've done, <laughs> you wow me again. Oh, and so happy. you've done it with this, Rob. Thank just you. an amazing, amazing job. And Thank one you. of the things that really stands out for me and speaks to you as a director is that so many directors would have opted to CGI film like this. Mm. You didn't. You've got practical sets, you're using miniatures for the giant scenes, yes. which nobody does anymore. No, I know, so old fashioned. <laughs> what were your considerations in going for the practical effect, steeping your actors in the physical moment, especially with something that has to have the, the flow, the lyrical flow and melodic flow that complements the music? Oh, beautifully said. You know, I um, it was a combination of things. It's not my taste, you know, the CGI world. Somehow I find it so... Um, I mean, it's magnificent to see, and it can be incredibly thrilling to watch. But somehow with this piece, even though it is a fairy tale, and, it, and we live in a heightened reality in this movie, I wanted it to feel real because I wanted the people to be real because you're asked to care for them. You're asked to really follow their journeys, especially when it gets to the end of the piece. You're really asked to be with them and feel for them. And if, if you're in this sort of two-dimensional space and world, and I don't know, I think that would be very difficult. I also, because I'm, I really, you know, for me it's about the actor filmmaking, you know, that's what I love. I love great performances, that's what I love. That's the most exciting thing for me to watch in film. I, I like to give the actors the best chance to do that. For me, it's being in a real space, not like in a green room somewhere, just trying to pretend they're doing something. I feel like if they can be in a real woods, you know, Granny's tree, for instance, is a real tree, you know, in Windsor Great Park, or the, the, the tree that Jack is climbing and giants in the sky is a real tree, you know, real castle that we went to Dover Castle and... Somehow I just feel it brings it all to life in a, in a sort of much more true way because it's tangible, you know, and, um, and I like to give the actors that feeling of, of you know, being a part of the world. Now, did that become a help or a hindrance, an asset or a detriment when you're working with Dion and with Wyatt? Yes. Because the cinematography, because you've got such a shift change with your lighting and lensing within specific song sequences. Yes. And you've got fast cuts with the fast camera movement and the real set. Is that, how does that play out when you guys sit down to work this out? Well, you know, the great thing is that it all comes from the same place. Um, and I love to, maybe because I'm from the theater originally, I like collaboration, especially on a musical, there's so many people involved. I like to sort of pull everybody together. And you know, the, the mantra for all of us is that it has to come from the story. You know, that's the most important thing. So we're always looking to integrate that and make that lead us throughout. And um, it was, you know, thank God I had Dion on this. You know, we've done now many musicals together. Colleen Atwood too, and 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 Wyatt as well, you know, because when you have a team, I feel like it's like a, my mini Arthur Freed unit from the '50s from the MGM musicals, you know, like because they they were a well-oiled machine um, that would do these amazing musicals, and it's a little miniature version of that. But I I try and um, you know bring together that team when I can, and and there's a shorthand involved too, which is great. So. Now you 
as an actor and musical theater, Chad. <laughs> yes, making my return to musical theater. Making your return, a very mm-hmm. successful run just completed in Cannibal, the musical. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And hopefully we'll see it again soon. Mm-hmm. Still cleaning the meat out of my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on Rob's perspective? Um, I totally agree. Like What I loved truly about the movie is that... Uh, it was very tangible in a way. I was afraid that when it made the translation from stage to screen, that it was going to be lost behind a green screen, kind of like Jack and the Giant Killer, like mm-hmm. that whole, or even Disney's Once Upon a Time, right? Which is very much shot in front of a green screen. And so for me, even though these sets were artificial, they just felt so much more lived in because they were actual sets that they were climbing around and not acting against a wall. And I think exactly what Rob said, like it, it, it allows you to feel deeply or more deeply for those characters because you feel like you're in that set and i think like that's that was the beauty of me seeing the show like in 1987 because the the woods were coming alive like they weren't against projected flats either right like the Mm -hmm. trees were constantly moving and the castle was constantly moving and the characters were happening and i think what he did beautifully knowing his theatrical background is on the steps of the palace which i think is one of my favorite songs in the movie and the it, performance is amazing she, she's amazing and i think that she's directed beautifully it's it's just shot beautifully but it does feel like a soliloquy to the audience because you have chris pine at the top of the stairs frozen in time right with the mm-hmm. coiffed hair blowing and she is delivering the song to the audience even though it's cinematic in a way so for me it was the perfect marriage of, of seeing that come together was the original production as emotional and as resonant as the actual film. First time you guys saw it. I, I think I appreciate the film more now and even productions I've seen since then mm-hmm. only because I'm now 56. So a lot more years of life experience mm-hmm. and dealing with life, death, mm-hmm love, loss, and all of that plays in. Well, it was also yeah. the first uh, musical that I saw on Broadway. And so, yeah. like, you know, it, it is fantastical in so many senses of the word, right? Like, because the theater did have, like, the giant's foot hanging off the mm-hmm. edge before you, you went in. And so, to grow up with those fairy tales and to see them so um, juxtaposed and rewoven and re-narrativized was such an amazing treat for a child. But then to go back and have all the psychoanalytic aspects of that as <laughs> you're an adult go back and see how those all play out like it's just fascinating you know little red stands for so many different things that mm-hmm. she did when you're seeing it for the first time when you're 15 so and i think it's a testament to stephen sondheim the mm, intricacy right. the psychological yes intricacies that he has going on within all of his right productions mm-hmm. and i'm looking at the clock and i see it is time for our first commercial break sound effects <laughs> it's time to go to the commercial break i'll be taking a 45 minute bathroom break, right, just okay behind the lens is sponsored in part by the culver city observer located in the heart of screenland culver city observer is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. And we are back. And another slice of musical heaven. Yes. Now, mm-hmm. let me ask you guys, with with the opening theme and, and with the bumper, what do you think? Does it have that Max Steiner cinematic quality that I was looking for? It, it does. I yes. Feel, yeah. I feel like a little Sunset Boulevard is happening right here at the... Yeah. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Sun- there you go. Sunset Boulevard, live in Whittier. <laughs> Considering I did take Sunset to get here, it does have a very was, circular feel. What was that amazing quote at the end where Desmond says, and all those people in the dark? Oh, we were talking about our yeah, audience. What is yeah, that? that's the yes. most important part of the yeah yeah yeah, thing, is yeah the yeah, audience. Yeah, you know, reaching out to those people in the dark. Mm-hmm. So, well, hopefully we can we can reach out to some people here in the in the course of the show mm-hmm. and get them to like keep tuning in. And by the way, because mm-hmm. this is a talk show, people, if you're listening live now, you can give us a call one eight hundred four zero five six four two five. Yes, and Chad's when you see the video pack, because we also, this is being two-camera video, it will be cut and edited by the brilliant Lydia Hawk. Lydia also who did our beautiful graphics. And she's cutting my face off the video. Oh. I am making okay. sure that happens. Just no. All, no, 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 yes, no. Just the, the, we are a very multi-ethnic yes. group. Here yes. Today, yes. Like yes, we are. And while I mentioned the posters, I have to give a huge shout-out to my friend Mike at DSJ Printing over in Santa Monica, who did these on New Year's Eve day for me. That's great. So what kind of mood do you get from looking at the poster? Um, I, I like the, the lavender that's happening because it's like this nice, you know, feminine touch to the, 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 the uh, perspective, I should say. To the darkness that to is me. Darkness, to the darkness, to the darkness that is Um, and I love how the lens takes the, the center focus because, focus, oh, look, we're so punny today. <laughs> um, I like how the, the lens is there because it, I mean, that, that's what we're here to talk about. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And what, you know what, I, I also love, I'm going to go on this. This is my, go ahead. Go my ahead. Columbia background coming into training. Yes, go ahead. Um, I love how your name is in um, lower uh, case letters because I feel like what you're, you're not here to promote yourself. You're here to promote the work of that's other people. That's a beautiful so. Well, and that is, yeah. a, that's yeah. actually my legal signature is all lower case letters. Oh, wow. Nice. And it was actually something that I got from Dick Clark, as a matter of fact. <laughs> nice. Who was a part of my life from the day I yes. was born. Uh, but mm-hmm. no, he, because his official logo was always lowercase and that. he had, I had asked him once, um, you know, why he did that. And he said, because I'm not the important one. Mm-hmm. It's what's, yeah, it's everybody else and what's going on. That's important. Wow. That's beautiful. So that's good. Yes. I still remember when my grandfather got in a huge fight with the, a bank once because I signed everything and they said, well, no, you, that's not how you sign a name. He goes, oh, yes, it is. <laughs> Just very quickly on Sondheim. What was the that song, Send in the Clowns? Where was that? That's uh, a little, little, night, night little night music. Night music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I listened to that song, I was five or six. I just thought it was really melodic. And then as you oh, get older, yes. you listen, you mm-hmm. really listen to the lyrics and what the mm-hmm. person's trying to say. Mm-hmm. And it's just so heartbreaking. And that's something. And Glennis John singing that song oh, is so yeah. heartbreaking. And I think that's what a lot of kids, they're going to go into Into the Woods with all these great fairy tales, kind of a hybrid. And then mm-hmm. as they grow into the film, it's going to have so many messages about having your extended family and death and life and rebirth. Mm-hmm. There's so many things going on with that movie. Mm-hmm. I just loved it. And, so. of course, you know, as Rob has so eloquently said many times in promoting the film, it's the message of no one is alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You always have someone there. And your actions affect countless others around you. Like, we are all connected because we share space together. Yeah. Well, and speaking of sharing some space, I got to share a little more space with Rob as he talked about the realizing and converting Sondheim from stage 
to screen. Hmm. So, Brian, a clip, please. Well, you have to be very, you have to be very smart about how you do a, a translation from stage to film because you have to hold on to what works, the sort of the central core of the piece that you have to do um, because it's. I mean, certainly, I love this piece, and I and I was anxious to hold on to what worked about it. But at the same time, if you must reimagine it as a film because it, it you know, you've seen the film. We've all seen the films that don't make the transition and they just sort of put the stage musical on film and it doesn't work because it's a different medium. The great thing is because James Lapine wrote the original and Stephen Sondheim wrote the original, they came on board to write the screenplay and Stephen worked with us throughout. And they were so flexible about the material. I mean, even more flexible in a weird way than I was. <laughs> like I was holding on to it much more than they were. Um, because they understood this is a film. And there are certain things you can't do. I mean, the stage conventions of speaking directly to an audience or singing directly to an audience, you can't do on film. It doesn't work. Um, so you have to reimagine those kinds of things, you know, and that's what we did throughout. I mean, Little Red Riding Hood song, Jack's song was reimagined, Cinderella's song on the, on the steps of the palace. Yeah, just like uh, what you were mentioning earlier, Chad. <laughs> Yeah. So prescient, and I didn't know it. <laughs> Little nod to you, by the way. Mr. Marshall said that you said something really beautifully. Yeah. Yes. I've been doing interviews since 91. No one has ever said that to me. <laughs> They've said, like, maybe, uh, come again? Uh, excuse me? It's, what, what's that? They know, they know that you look beautiful, and oh, they don't want to, I mean, they, they can only give you so many thank compliments you so much. in one thank given you day. So much. You know, but. what I loved hearing just then about saying that Sondheim and Lapine were very good about, I'm on a last name basis with them, that's why I just of said course. that. Of course. <laughs> that they were so more so or so flexible with the stories is I do feel that stories also do change over time as mm -hmm. well as we move as a society or as the the stories take on new resonance. So it's nice to hear for that um, room being allowed for that kind of flexibility or permutation and combination, knowing that the the mediums are different, so that that necessitates the, the telling of a different story. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, something that concerned me, and I even, meant, I even brought it up in my review, and I brought it up to Rob, was, you know, the fact that you're going into film and you have this whole big cinematic toolbox at your disposal. I was surprised he was as restrained mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as he was, because there are so many directors that, would have just gone way over the top into beyond Cecil B. DeMille biblical mm -hmm, proportion. Mm -hmm, right. And he didn't. So I had to ask him about that. And here's what he had to say. So the tools in the cinematic toolbox, was it difficult for you to hold back on using all the tools at your disposal? Mm. I try and serve... You know, it's funny. I, I, the most important thing is to serve the actor for me and serve the piece and serve the story. And so I only use the tools that you're describing when that enhances that. When it, when it overwhelms it, you know, and it's something that it, so fancy filmmaking. I mean, I like to look, it should look like I was never there. That's what I feel. I feel it should feel like it's unfolding naturally, organically, flowing, fluidly. Same with the editing, same with all of it. It should look like it's all happening, and we're just involved in that. If, 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 if there's too much of me in there, or too much of Dion, or I mean, or whatever, it's just, it, 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 then you're taken out of the film. I want you to walk, go into this, into the, which you go into the, 
into this piece and feel like you're inside it and it's happening organically and that's that's what I'm always looking for. And that to me that satisfied my curiosity mm-hmm. as to why it wasn't more than it was. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that uh, his uh, that Rob's editor um Wyatt Smith said it best, story is king. Mm-hmm. And we'll hear from Wyatt shortly. Um, had a wonderful conversation with him, as I did with Dennis Gassner, the production designer, who did an amazing job mm-hmm. with production mm-hmm. design. Mm-hmm. I mean, the entire below-the-line team here, and as Rob has referred to them, his Arthur Fre- his mini Arthur Freed mm-hmm. unit, mm-hmm. this is very much a collaborative effort that harkens to the days of, of MGM. Mm-hmm. And and their musicals. Well, you certainly there is a Wizard of Oz aspect, I think, too, about Into the Woods because there it 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 sometimes feels like it's shot on a soundstage, which is magical. So there's this hearkening back to those musicals, mm-hmm. I think, which this which Into the Woods does really well. Well, and also this year another big spectacle that we saw from Disney, Maleficent. Mm-hmm. Bob, mm-hmm. my dear old friend Bob Stromberg, who stepped up and directed this one. He also sets, mm-hmm, sets, mm-hmm, sets mm-hmm, as mm-hmm, much as possible. Mm-hmm. And I really love that we're seeing that great return. We saw it with Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. did things as, pra- you know, as practically as they could. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes a difference for the audience. It, it, it's just something that's more tangible and tactile, and it just feels much more lived in. Like the, the world that you would have created playing these characters as a child. Mm-hmm. Right? So... You know, I, I, there might be children that go and draw it all on their wall and just act against a wall. But I know I, for one, was like throwing blankets everywhere and, you know, taking cereal boxes and building trees. So I Just think that's only cereal boxes? <laughs> I, I grew up on General Mills, as you can tell by looking at my belly <laughs> or Kellogg's. So, yes, Pop-Tarts. Uh, my mother, we were just joking about this yesterday. I never had a fresh vegetable until I like <laughs> moved out of the house. We grew up on, on canned vegetables. So if it wasn't in a can or a box, we weren't eating it. Yeah, well, that was my mother. Those are better for you anyway, the kind of stuff. By the way, just one of them. You know what? I think Marshall was a perfect filmmaker for this because the story here is king along with the book and the lyrics Mm -hmm. and the theme. Mm -hmm. So if you had someone who's kind of auteur-driven where the filmmaker is ahead of the project, Mm -hmm. you know, then I think Into the Woods wouldn't have worked. You know, because Marshall let the story shine as opposed to let his own toolbox mm-hmm. and all his tricks and trades, you know. But sometimes, like, if you do, like, a psychological drama or a thriller that actually hinges upon the personality of the filmmaker, then that works. But mm-hmm. something with a broad canvas like this, mm-hmm. it's perfect for Marshall. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and speaking of that, you bring that up, Greg. We've got to look at Dan Gilroy and Nightcrawler. Oh, because, I mean, talk about... One of the best films of the year. One of the best films I, of the year. I'm lagging behind. I need to see that. Creepy ah. creepy sometimes gets to me. And so. yeah. we have a caller. Oh, yay. We do. All right, now let's see if I can do this correctly. You're on Behind the Lens, Scott. Congratulations. Well, thank you. This is my dear, dear friend, Scott Barton. Hello, Hello Scott. Scott. Hi, guys. It's so exciting for this first broadcast that you're talking about Into the Woods and my favorite <laughs> thing ever of Sondheim. Yay! <laughs> what, is, what is your favorite song from Into the Woods? Um, just 
Just musically, Steps of the Palace is yeah, my favorite. Yeah. Yep. Um, emotionally, Children Will Listen yes. and um, No More, which mm-hmm. I kind of missed in the movie, although they used the, the melody of it while Baker was grieving using the his wife's scarf. I thought that was beautifully mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sorry. I like agony. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, but you could turn the sound off and like that. <laughs> At least I could. I don't want to speak to anybody else. Well, but. well, you know, keep listening because Colleen Atwood gave just, I have a clip co- coming from my interview with Colleen and she just has the best anecdote about Chris Pine. Oh, yay. <laughs> that you will absolutely love. But while I have you on the line here, Scott, I've got to give a big mention to a project that is near and dear to your heart and has become near and dear to mine that's going to be taking place on May 9th. It is the stage annual 31st anniversary spectacular to support AIDS Project LA to Broadway from Hollywood with Love. Oh, that's amazing. And it's a pretty incredible event, I have to say. And, and Debbie, thank you so much for, for all your support of it. This is, this is my 30th year. Um, being part of it. So it's kind of a, a milestone for me. And what I really am encouraged by it is the, uh, the theme this year is Broadway musicals that originally were Hollywood films. And David Galligan is such a historian of both. So we'll be doing things like, um, uh, the matchmaker, um, that was turned into Hello Dolly. And all about Eve that eventually became applause. And, um, I have no other ideas this, of idea of what he's got going on, but there, you know, there's a million ways to go with it. You could do things from Beauty and the Beast because that was a, originally an animated film. So there's opportunities to pull some really great music that was done on Broadway from stories that originated in film. And it just shows, you know, that the arts are the, the full circle. That we, we all feed each other, and creativity um, knows no limits, and, and we all we all share with each other. So I'm really excited for this year's event. Well, and last year's was just absolutely phenomenal. With stage goes to the movies. Robert Osborne hosted it. Shirley Jones was there. Davis Gaines. Uh, Carol Cook, of course. Carol is always part of stage. Always. This is her 29th year. And Carol, I know she has already sworn up and down. She is going to be on this show with me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if I have to pick her up in West Hollywood and drive her to Whittier, I will do that to make sure that this happens. Well, I told her, no, she can just call in. I don't want, I don't want Carol, you know, we need her on stage. (laughs) So let's not, let's not risk anything or jeopardize her. Bye. Well, I'm kind of being selfish. I would love to have the opportunity to go pick her up and have her alone in the car with me for an hour each way. Uh. <laughs> Make sure that wasn't taped. Just actually. dish our brains out, coming and going, and, and 11 o'clock is not such a bad hour. So, you know, we've got a few months to lead up to that, but I'm I'm holding out hope. Well, I just, I can't wait for this, and you know that I'm on board, you know, 100%, 110% with you on uh, promoting uh, this year's event. Well, thank you. I'm, I am so excited for your show. You're, you, this is a perfect spot for you, and you can fill three hours easier than anybody I know with your vast knowledge of things. And I, I, I love your energy, and I love how positively you look at this often cruddy industry. 
but there are nuggets of, of brilliance amongst all that stuff. I'm trying to not use words that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I haven't figured out how to use all the little buttons yet. So, you know. <laughs> Being online, do you have to? Does that even matter? No, th- well, yeah. Really? Yeah, it still matters. I guess working at Playboy Radio, I have no filter. I have <laughs> well, that that gave me license to just be vulgar, but I'm, I'm trying to be I'm trying to be somewhat erudite here, since you're talking about Sondheim. Well, yes, we all try and be erudite and up the game when we talk about Sondheim. I am I'm so- trying to pull out polysyllabic words right now, <laughs> make you think that I actually am smart. Oh, well, I think you're very smart. And I'm so glad you're listening, and I'm so thrilled that you called, Scott. Well, I had to. I had to cheer you on. This is huge. <laughs> well, keep listening, and you can hear more, some more uh, exclusive stuff on Into the Woods. Well, I can't wait. Thank you, Scott, and I'll talk to you later. Good luck, y'all. Congratulations. Thanks. Take care. Bye. He, uh, Scott is just an absolute sweetheart. And first I, caller. And, I, fig- first and caller. I figured out how to use the button. I'm oh, real- cool. Yay! Chad's here giving, you know, like, fake, fake. <laughs> Brian's in the, my sound engineer and, and producer in the back. Brian is applauding me. This is... And he's talking, but we can't hear him. <laughs> I can't applaud you because my hands are shaking. That, that's okay. <laughs> but I think right now... I think it is time that for we a commercial g- break. You can hear me now. Oh, that we go to a commercial break. I love Chad's sound effects. <laughs> yes. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is the number one newspaper in Culver City, covering local news, politics, and community events, with sports by Mitch Chortkoff and movie reviews by Debbie Lynn Elias, Culver City Observer is the place to go to be in the know. When you think Culver City and the heart of Screenland, think Culver City Observer. When you think movies and movie reviews, think Culver City Observer. Culver City Observer, a division of Arizona Newspaper Group, is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. And we're back. You're listening to Behind the Lens and a little below the line. I'm Debbie Lynn Elias. I've got Greg here. I've got Chad Miller here. I'm not even going to try and screw up your last name. Okay. Greg, whoever this guy is. Greg, whoever guy, this guy is. The guy with the sweater. The guy with the sweater. We're so yeah, color coordinated. Cool. All of us were very color coordinated today. We match. Just had uh, publicist Scott Barton call in. Hey, feel free. Call in. We're here. I'll talk. 800-405-6425. Well, I'd love to hear from you. And we'll go back into the woods here a little bit. One aspect that we haven't really talked about uh, yet is the casting mm-hmm. of Into the Woods. And one of the big questions with a film like this that has such a length, a long history on stage, who do you get? Do you get your stage actors to come and do the film? Or with so many... Actors now who are Mama Mia, perfect example. You had people, Pierce Brosnan singing. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm sorry, Pierce. I'm sorry. I promised you I'd never bring that up again. Um, but 
So you, you do have a plethora of people, but here are some really great unexpected surprises. So Rob Marshall talked about his casting process. Meryl, I had in mind. I was looking to do something with her. We had talked about doing something a few years before, and I was desperate to work with her, as any director is, I believe. And and I was excited about working with Johnny again, having worked with him on Pirates, because he's an amazing man. And I knew he wanted to have a small part in something and be part of an ensemble. So I thought that this could work for him. But everybody else was the classic casting that you have to do. I didn't have anybody else in mind. Um, so, and, and started the process of that. You know, some people, I knew Anna Kendrick could sing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Emily Blunt could sing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Chris Pine could sing until they came in and sang. You know, I have this interesting philosophy about casting. I always, ho- I always feel that if I've done my job, I have to make no decisions whatsoever because they're made for me. Because the ca- actors come in and claim the role. Like Emily Blunt came in and sang Moments in the Woods and said, this is my role. Because she had everything. The humor, the warmth, the accessibility, the depth, the voice. You know, it was like, that. this is my part. And Chris Pine, too. I had no idea he was that funny. I had no idea he was that clever and smart. I didn't know he could sing until he sang... Frank Sinatra's Fly Me to the Moon is what he said. Because he loves Frank Sinatra's said fun. And I was like, wow, you really have a voice. So it's, it's this wonderful, the casting process is very interesting on a musical because there's so few and far between, so you don't know who really can do it. And I always try and do it not in a, you know, when they audition, I don't sit behind a table and they, I get up. It's a, I, I try and treat it like a work session. And John DeLuca and myself, John, who produces with me, we do it together. And we try and we listen, you know, we pretend it's the first day of rehearsal kind of thing. So they feel, you know, more free to do their best work. Now, as an actor, Chad, is that something that you encounter? Do you like that casting process when the director is up and walking and more engaged with you? Yes, I, I do. I do like that. I mean, I definitely feel that it is a collaborative process, but I like what he said about that he feels, he didn't use these words, but safe and secure enough that knowing the actor can come in there and claim the role, mm-hmm. or the actors can come in there and claim the role. And so he doesn't have to do that heavy lifting because he's already, through the casting process, done that. Mm-hmm. that that's what I like. I think what's really helpful about having a director when you're doing an ensemble piece is like clearly they know the overall narrative that they're trying to do and so as an actor you sometimes need that guidance and making sure that you're fitting within what that overall narrative is Mm -hmm. that your story isn't becoming the story or you know to use somebody's lyrics and song i'm in another story right like you want to make sure that you're in the same story that's being told unless that other story is integral to the plot um i am also equally surprised that emily blunt could sing and so well like literally blown away by her performance and James Corden, who I literally fell in love with watching. I mean, like he, he's such an amazing Have you seen the other two films that came out let begin again that he's in and once I didn't see (gasps) either one of those, nor did I see the Hulu series, the wrong man or Mm -hmm. something, but they are in my queue because I was, he's so lovable and affable and neurotic and comedic and, it, the everyman, like he just, he's, I can't imagine, I mean, you know, seeing it on Broadway, you have a definite idea and voice in your mind, but mm-hmm. and I never would have picked somebody like James Corden, but now I can't imagine anybody not doing it because I think he's so indelibly made that role his own. And I think that's one of the great things with this film is these actors have made these roles 
and performance is so indelible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, Meryl Streep, mm-hmm. Chris Pine. I can't ever picture anybody but singing Agony again but for Chris Pine. <laughs> I know, and I think that that's a, that's a true testament to the, the work of the actors and the, uh, the filmmaker, like, and the costuming, the design, the editing, all of it, and that the... You walk away from this with, uh, because let me back up. I know I went to go see it twice and I went to go see it with people that were very diehard. Like I saw the musical and nothing is going to, you know, change me from how awesome the musical was. And then they walk away and they're like, Oh, you know what? I actually kind of like that interpretation, (laughs) right? Because like it, it it just somehow, it just somehow works. I think the way that it's told, there are some things like cinematically that are a little hard to, you know, like the jump starts in and out of songs. Mm But, I mean, overall, I, I walked, there was not a single casting choice that I thought, why the hell did they do that? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it just didn't, it, it's, it's not the cast that I would have picked out if you would have given me a dream team, but now walking away from it, I can't imagine anybody different in those roles. I would have loved to have seen this film in a packed house. Mm-hmm. Friday night you know family night kind of thing and mm-hmm. just see that kind of reaction or even a matinee well that's we went on a friday night and people were clapping after the musical numbers like it it felt like being in a in a broadway and you you could hear all down the road like during certain songs people are whispering the, the lyrics along you know like, <laughs> or patting it out on their song like it was clearly people that had you know some kind of relationship to the to the material already well that's one, oh sorry no i was going to say so we can only hope now that we right. will see an into the woods sing-along oh i am but the el capitan <laughs> will raise the roof on that. I think one of the negative parts of what we do is we go to a lot of screenings, so the kind of reaction we get are very nonplussed, very unemotional Mm -hmm. reactions Mm. because it's usually our fourth or fifth film of the week, and there's really, there's no heartbeat. I don't know what circuit you're on doing four or five (laughs) films. Okay, I I was... I do. I do one every two months. <laughs> no, but you, you know what I'm talking about. That, that grind. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes I feel the people who actually, the public that they let in on the screenings, I'd rather have them take the really good seats and put us somewhere off the cheap seats because I, I, I miss that kind of real organic reaction mm-hmm. and being able to see the audience take part in it. Yeah. Yeah. It For is a dialogue. Yeah. yeah. Well. And part of the dialogue with Into the Woods involves the editing, because the editing of this film is so crucial. The visuals and pacing have to match the lyrical, melodic flow of both the the music and the story. And here Rob Marshall called on, you know, part of his mini Arthur Freed unit, Wyatt Smith. This is his fourth collaboration with Rob. And I got to talk to him about the challenges of the editing. And here's well, what that's, you, you said the key word. It's, it's pacing. I mean, for, for anything you're editing, I mean, story is king. Story is the most important, and that's what you have to address first. Then you have to get the best performances for that story. But the pace at which you tell it is crucial. I mean, it's it's movies, they always feel too long. No movie is ever the right length. And um, in the case of Sondheim, the language is so complicated and so verbose, but very beautiful. And you can't let that get lost because those songs, you know, they can't they can't be flashy music videos. Those songs are the scenes. Those are the character dilemmas. That is what they're going through. So getting the pace of all that right is obviously, I mean, paramount. Um, you know, the story, thankfully, because there was a stage show and because James Lapine and Stephen Sondheim and Rob were all involved in creating the screenplay, I mean, there's, of course, there's things that we have 
had to address in the story that didn't quite work and some reorders and some cuts and things like that but the story was pretty solid and proven the performances I mean we've got you know one of the best casts on the planet it's such like a, you know I'm the luckiest editor in the world it's, you know to have it's an embarrassment of riches I mean even when an actor might be on their B game it's still pretty phenomenal so uh, thankfully performances was also came very easy to find what were the best performances it, it just became very clear but pacing the film was the thing that was never easy never simple never okay that's good move on and and then once the entire film was built together sure we went back and recut some things and stuff like that but working on the shape of the entire film that was the main editorial challenge the entire time and you know and hand in hand with why it's editing in this particular case goes Dion BB cinematography because of the shifting change with the lighting, the lensing within mm-hmm. a specific song sequence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's fast camera movement, there are fast edits, but you can't lose that lyricism. Mm-hmm. So he talked a little bit about that and, and the collaboration in terms of cutting while viewing in light of the cinematography. Thankfully, that does come, a certain amount of that will come natural by design with Rob, because he really has such a strong vision for everything. But also, there is a bit of a shorthand between all of us, because he has this team that I'm honored to have been a part of, again, of Dion Beebe and Colleen Atwood. In this case, Dennis Gassner is our mm-hmm. designer, and Peter King for hair and makeup, and, and myself. And it's just, you know, we're able to go to each other and talk about everything very freely. There's no, like, introduction or maybe I shouldn't bug you or things like that because we know each other at this point. There's such an open communication about things and we let that filter into things. I mean, anything that concerns Colleen, she just can come and tell me. And I talk to Dion on set and he's like, oh, look out for this. And it's, it's great to have all that going in. I mean, this is, you really see when you talk to, you know, the people behind the lens, you really do get a great appreciation and sense of the challenges that they're facing and the collaborative nature of the process. And not to be left out, the Oscar-winning... Costume designer Colleen Atwood. Never, never heard of. Never, never, never heard. <laughs> I, just ne- I mean, her work here yeah. is stunning, and I got to talk to her in depth uh, on several issues and several design circumstances. Not only with Into the Woods, but she was also doing Big Eyes at the same time. Oh wow, that's amazing. So to see, you know, so this is a great and working with Tim Burton. Right. So you've got. Very different styles, mm-hmm. very different films. So here's, uh, I talked to her first about the costume work of Into the Woods, and here's what she had to say. The costume work with Into the Woods is stunning. Your color palettes, your fabrications, and what you've done with, especially with Meryl's costuming, you've got that wooded, the foresty kind of texture, and as she gets pretty, it becomes satin with the same kind of moray textures to it. How, what were your considerations when you sat down to design the costumes and have this thematic element running through your fabrics? Well, I think because 
the woods was the place everyone came and went that I wanted it to be part of each of their worlds in a way so I used it as kind of an inspiration for the textiles that I created for the film and in Meryl's case I knew you know with Rob we have a, a a four-week rehearsal period with that talent, which is very, almost unheard of in film today. And I knew what her intro into the film was going to be was her in this tree. And I wanted it to be that she looked like part of the tree almost, that you didn't really, couldn't really separate them. And the, the first time you saw her, you see this face and this hair, but the costume and the tree are sort of like, it's almost like it's made out of this gnarly bark. So I knew that was kind of where I wanted to go with that. And I'd been developing that textile for a while. I kind of played around with it on a couple things when, on a movie that didn't happen. So I kind of had it in my, like, when am I going to use this kind of thing? And then when it came to the transition, I was meeting with her and her hair and makeup collaborator, Roy Helen. And, um, you know, we started talking. I said, I really want it to be like you took that and amplified it like that was like at her, in her mind if she took her witch's thing and made it all pretty mm -hmm. in that kind of suburban kind of way that it became this kind of satin version of the same thing. The sleeves are bigger, the waist is smaller, the cleavage is a little bit more, you know, the hair is definitely a lot more, mm -hmm. you know, the, that whole kind of everything matched kind of mm -hmm. mentality with it. So something... A, you know, she thought her teenage daughter would be proud of, you know, instead of embarrassed by, like, kind of that sort of sort of superficial kind of beauty. But with, with a film like this, be it, or a story like this, be it stage or on film, because of the fluidity and the move, continual movement, is that a big consideration in your designs to allow the actors to have the necessary, say, leg room, like Anna Kendrick in the gold dress going up and down stairs. And the tar. And the tar, yeah. Is, no. Does that come into play when you're designing? Yeah. I mean, when you do a project like this, which is music, and it's not really dance in the literal world, but it's basically dance. Um, it's the same as doing an action costume because it has to have the same sort of function as an as, as a, an action costume. So all the costumes have element of stretch in the corset, so people can breathe. That you know, I have different versions of the shoes for different action. I have different versions and lengths of costume for different action. Like there are a couple different lengths of the witch's costume because the forest floor, um, even though it was a set, was really like uneven. And so if your dress is too long, you're tripping on it when you step down. And you know. Meryl had these really high platforms we used a few times cause to try to elongate the sort of witch thing in the glamour part. But we ended up, you know, doing a shorter version of the dress because it was hopeless to try to walk around in those kind of shoes on that kind of surface. Um, Anna's costume was, you know, I wanted it to, her Cinderella costume to be something that kind of was like a butterfly wing that came and went like you saw it sometimes and you didn't at others because it wasn't really her but it was her so I wanted to try to convey that so I used that fabric and material in regards to the tar I made them um, experiment a lot with it so I could know I had the fabric was a vintage fabric that I owned and it was just the right fabric and I couldn't really find a modern equivalent for it 
So when we got to the tar part, um, I had I collaborated before with special effects on how we were going to do that. So um, we got a tar that we could actually sponge out of the dress. So even though I had two or three dresses, I could keep cleaning them up for you know for the next shot. It's kind of tight when you have two because you you know yeah, if something happens, sure. but three is okay. You can keep it moving. I mean that gold fabric. You're sweating the whole time, but but, but it it keeps going. I was wondering if it was vintage because it looked like something like right out of the MGM costume. Yeah, it's a 30s fabric. Yeah, stunning. It's, it's from old Paramount stock. Oh, okay. So we keep going back to Arthur Freed at MGM, 30s Paramount stock. The history of film is very much present today. And as part of that, since Rob Marshall's the one that brought it up to begin with, I had to ask him before the day ended, um, do you have a favorite film out of the Arthur Freed unit? And this is it. I have to ask you, do you have a favorite film out of Freed's unit that influenced you? Well, you know, Singing in the Rain is just like, and it's just such an obvious one, and everybody says it, but it's true. Yeah. It's so, it's perfect. It's a perfect musical in every way. And Chad is sitting here very happy and silently applauding. Um, I like the train monkey. I'm the, just playing my cymbals. Yeah, there just there's so many. And I have to say, for all of my classic film fans out there, all my TCM party people, if you don't have it, if you want to learn more about the Arthur Freed Unit, a great book, MGM's Greatest Musicals, the Arthur Freed Unit by Hugh Forden. Meet Me in St. Louis, Gigi, Wizard of Oz, Showboat, American in Paris, Easter Parade, Babes on Broadway, Silk Stockings, Ziegfeld Folly, Singing in the Rain, Kismet, For Me and My Gal, Girl Crazy, Bells Are Ringing, Annie Get Your Gun, oh, Bells Are Ringing, Pagan Love Song, Bandwagon. This is phenomenal. Do you have a personal favorite from that list you just announced? From that list? That list, uh, it's a tough one between An American in Paris and Singing in the Rain. Mm. Um, but they all have something. And what I love with this book and having known so many people who worked at MGM in the golden days, uh, so many who are no longer here, it's, I know I have heard the stories and the facts that are in the book. Yeah. And of course, Sony is now in the old MGM studio lot. Actually, my condo sits on top of what was lot number five of the MGM studios. So I have, I have great love. Yes. Great, great love. And we're coming close to running out of time today. This hour has just gone by so So quickly. I just want to let people know big eyes, Tim Burton film, Colleen Atwood does the costuming, Christoph Waltz, and um, Amy Adams Star. They are phenomenal in it. Uh, the screenwriters are going to be at Book Soup tonight. Uh, there's actually a book coming out of the screenplay, and they're going to be doing a Q&A and talking. And hopefully I'll be doing uh, an interview with them later on this week. Very talented writers. They are amazing. Amazing. And we didn't get to talk about Big Eyes today, but we will in the future. So, Golden Globes coming up between now and next Monday when we're back again. Chad's making faces. <laughs> I am. I'm just excited to watch Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. <laughs> I mean, like, that's... That, that's that. the reason to watch the Globes. <laughs> no, that is not the reason to watch the Globes, but, you know, I just... I'm doing Groundlings now, too, so, like, you know, the comedy. I just want to see how they 
how they deal with this year's material, I think. Yeah, I'm excited because I love the HFPA. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> I'm so glad that you love the HFPA. <laughs> They're great people. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but just for the polar polars and the hosts and whatnot and the HFPA, that's, that's the reason why. I'm just, you know what, I'm just kind of incensed that the drop didn't get any kind of nominations. No one has seen the drop. I just love the drop. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's just selfish. I don't even know that. See? What, what is that? It's a Tom Hardy film. You know, Locke oh, got the I, most. No, I love Tom Hardy. Yeah, well, he got Locke a lot of is, run for Locke. Yeah, Locke is amazing. Zero for the drop, which you didn't like too much, maybe? No, nah, not especially. Ah, uh, yeah. But, you know, Locke. has a little bit. Don't listen. Oh, just, shit. No, don't lock on Debbie. Lock on me. Lock I on love this. Drop. This is good parent, bad so. parent. <laughs> so be like, no, right, what are you excited the most as far as the, Go- the Golden Globes next week? Um, For the Golden Globes next week, uh, I'm really excited. Eddie Redmayne yes. and Jake Gyllenhaal yep. are my two top picks for best lead actor. In the motion picture drama... HFPA because they break it out into the musical comedy and mo- and the drama, good, yeah. you know, break out. Mm-hmm. Out of their choices of Boyhood, Foxcatcher, Imitation Game, Selma, and The Theory of Everything, while a lot of pundits are, are saying Boyhood's going to take it, on a, the when you look at a best picture, ah, and we're getting our countdown here. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So now everybody's going to have to wait until next Monday and see who wins. So thank you all for tuning in today to the very first Behind the Lens, we'll be back every Monday, 11 to 12, on Adrenaline Radio. We and hate to leave, but we must go. <laughs> I have a French horn to play. A French horn to play. Okay. Yes. Well, next week, bring it next week, because you're going to be here next week, along Great. with Joel Amos, movie fanatic. Great. You will be back again soon. I hope so. Yes. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you very much. Happy, happy. To grandmother's house. <laughs> <laughs> He's going Disneyland. <laughs> Ha <laughs>